This programme has been grant-aided by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland Sound and Vision Scheme. Hello and you're very welcome to this, the second episode in the four-part radio documentary Posh. That's Port Out, Starboard Home, where we look at the area surrounding Dublin Port and the people who live and work there. My name is Ger Ledden and throughout this programme you will also hear the voice of my colleague Alan Weldon. In this episode, we're going to look at the history surrounding the port, some social initiatives taking place in the Docklands area and the policing of the port. But first, we ended episode one with some Vox Pops of children who attend St. Patrick's School, which is situated in the Docklands area. And we're going to start this episode with some more Vox Pops where the children tell us their favourite things about living in the Docklands area. My favourite thing about the port is going down and watching all like the big five star <coughs> cruisers coming in. And the like the celebrity ones, and just watching them all come in and going out. But my least favorite thing would probably be if you go down to the port to look at the ships coming in. The wind is like really bad. My favorite thing would about it would be because it's ships in the fluid. So without the port, really, you wouldn't be able to have food in the containers and everything. My favourite thing about the port would probably be when, when sometimes, like from like, when I go over with my dad, to like, cause he loves to show me. My favourite is sometimes you can go in it and it's really and it's real dark and I love dark. Can't sleep without darkness. In this decade of commemoration, it is important that we look back at the historical role which the Docklands played during the years 1916 to 1925. Now, Jeff Ledden is a PhD candidate specialising in the role of the Irish Citizens' Army and volunteer and troop movements in and around Docklands during that period. My first question to you, Jeff, is was the Docklands a, send- a centre for radical activity in the build-up to the 1916 Rising? Uh, yeah, it would have been. Um, I think the thing that comes to mind first is the, the strikes in the docks in October 1915, which was over kind of right to pay, and obviously that was a industrial dispute, but it gets quickly tied up into the national question. I'm sure James Collin, who's very keen on tying the two strands together, and he uses kind of the industrial agitation as a recruitment for his Irish citizen army who would become involved on Easter Monday. As well as that, a lot of the ICA members would have been the work at dockers, and they would have used kind of the locale as an opportunity to gather weapons for the rebellion. So sledgehammers, for instance, were, were used in the Royal College of Surgeons and someone like Captain Frank Roberts has stated he stole sledgehammers from his employment in the docks. So through that, it would have, it would have kind of led to, it would have been part of the ferment for the so, uh, And these would have all been physically fit big men as well, I suppose, working yeah. in the Docklands last stage. Um, did the Docklands provide weaponry, apart from sledgehammers, for, for the people involved in the rebellion? Um, certainly it was a location of importation of weaponry in America. You would have seen a lot of agitation for arms to be moved into the country. Um, Port is obviously the one that people remember the most, but you can see by the, the police figures, the DFP figures, just the amount of weaponry that was going through the docks. So, for instance, between November 1914 and April 1916, 536 rifles were seized 
um, in the Docklands through Dublin Port. Um, in, in November 1915, 30,000 30, rounds of ammunition were seized the following month. It's over 160,000 rounds of ammunition. November 1915, about 230 rifles seized. So you can see the amount of guns that are going through the docks at that point. And did this trend continue after the rebellion into the War of Independence, this trend of, of providing weaponry? Uh, yeah, if anything, it increases. After the rebellion, Olga Nehera and the IRA, the Sinn Féin League and the Irish Citizen Army. And of course the Irish Citizens Army were, were headquartered in the Docklands, in Liberty Hall. Uh, yeah, for most of the period their were kind of base was in Liberty Hall. They would have done some training in Bradford Place, uh, but kind of the, the centre of radical labour at the time was Liberty Hall, now of course centre city. And not the Liberty Hall that we know now, it's a different, it's the same site but a different, uh, different building. Different it's, building um, was there uh, ships, obviously, in the Docklands? Were there ever any raids on dock ships? Uh, yeah, and again, I suppose we're looking at the ICA a lot here, but one of their kind of most successful manoeuvres was a raid on a US supply boat in 1918. Uh, the boat was the USS Defiance, which was a US Navy transport vessel that had docked in Dublin on its way back from Dunkirk to Hampton Roads. Um, figures like Samus McGowan. Christopher Poole, Peter Poe, George Connolly and Lawrence Corbley were involved in this. Um, the amount of weaponry you're talking about would have been close to 100.45 revolvers, 2,000 rounds of revolver ammunition, 5,000 rounds of Springfield ammunition and various other lights and pistols. And, and these were stolen from? Uh, from the USS Defiance. By? By the Irish Citizen Army. Yeah. More successful though would have been the the arms importation going through the docks um, from 17 up to I suppose, 22. Um, Q Company in the IRA would have been one of the more successful avenues there in 1919, having suffered kind of a loss of weapons through the, after the rising where 4, 000, over 4,000 weapons are handed in. Um, the company used seamen and keymen, seamen and keymen um, to get contact with you know friendlies in other countries in order to establish communications, purchase arms and munitions, and bring them into the company. Uh, the captain of Q, of Q Company has stated we carried our instructions as issued by General Michael Collins, Joe O'Reilly, and Sean McMahon, and never had a seizure, capture, or consignment of stuff. The ICA as well as a system in place that was similar, where kind of Glasgow and Liverpool kind of hotbeds of kind of friendly Irishness um, were used to bring arms into Dublin Port and importers estimated that, that, that the quantity was over, over a tonne of explosives for that period. Jeff Ledden, thank you very much. Okay. Pat Ward is Head of Corporate Services with the Dublin Port Company. In this interview with both Pat and John Farley, who is Land Operations Manager of the Dublin Port Company, Pat refers to Dublin Port as being the heart of the economic engine of Ireland, situated inside, as he put it, big grey walls at Dublin Docks. I asked both Pat and John to allow us a quick glimpse inside those walls. Well, there, there are... Uh a multiple of uh, companies that work within the environs of the port. 
if we look around the area that we're here today uh, in Port Centre, uh, the port uh, within uh, a half a mile radius of the Port Pacific is home to four and a half thousand employees and a number of companies. So we have various different uh, port user groups, uh, committees, um, whether it be community or corporate, as you say, where we sit down, for instance, um, our land operations team would sit down with the various uh, uh, customers that we have in the port, whether it be from the ferry companies, the logistics, or indeed the stevedores, and have regular meetings with those and continue to maintain and manage and develop good working relationships with a number of companies who, I suppose, can be best described as competing against each other within the port and what is uh, can only be described as a cutthroat industry on the Irish Sea. Then, going beyond that, uh, we have the Docklands Business Forum, which, uh, again, we have very close working relationship with over the last three years. They have worked closely with us on our Riverfest event, which is the June Bank Holiday Weekend, um, where uh, over the course of the three days we have river animation, we have landside am animation, and it's a celebration of the river, of the port, and a means of bringing people back down to the Docklands area and showing them a lot of people, and I have to say I confess to be one of them, until I came to work in the port, I never gave a whole lot of thought to what was on the far side of the big grey walls. And this is the heart of the economic engine of Ireland. It's, uh, it's important to us that people know we're here uh, and they know what we, we do. And we're very focused on trying to reconnect the port with the city. And indeed, uh, obviously, Dublin provides the gateway uh, to Ireland. So we're very conscious of that as well. John Feely. Land Operations Manager. John Fairley, thank you very, very much for talking to us this morning. John, you're the Land Operations Manager with the Dublin Port Company. What do you do? What is your job? What do you actually work at? Well, I think uh, operationally the port is split into two areas. Uh, it is the marine side, uh, which is the harbour master, and then it's the land side, which is the land operations. So basically any time cargo either comes in or, or out of the port, it generally comes into our 650 acre. Mm. From that it then uh, basically either sits down or moves and so on through. So my responsibility is, especially in the areas that are common user areas, to manage the, manage the land and manage the way it is used. Now, uh, for example, I presume, I'm just looking at the windows here, there's a lot of containers, a lot of ships, a lot of movement. Security must be an issue. Uh, I presume you, you work very closely with the customs and excise people and, and the guardie, of course. Yes, we do. Um, and we would have uh, the likes of those state agencies, either enforcement or regulatory based here in the port. So we would have very strong connections with them. Uh, for ourselves personally, we, we have harbour police, which are warranted police officers. And we also have port security, which is basically uh, contracted security that do basically the same job as the as the harbour police. Now the harbour police, that's a historical warranted officer, right? That's, that's been correct. going on quite a... a Since 1870. Yeah. Uh, are there many harbour police? No, there's, uh, there's less now, um, yeah. and that has been an intention for some time, and mm. uh, we have sort of have a phasing out, phasing in type process, but we have, have currently some valuable staff that are still with us with the harbour police who do, do, do a great job. Uh, and that is around the, the whole area of safety and security within the port. And of course, uh, the fire service. Would that fall yes, well, you? we had, like originally there was, we had fire protection. We have what are called fire wardens, which work in designated areas. Uh, and then we would have 
we don't have our own fire protection, as in we don't have our mm. own fire station here, but we're very fortunate to have the likes of some very close by uh, fire stations that are within 60 to 90 seconds away, so the likes of Fairview. And, and the, the reality is that we have lots of facilities here. We would have probably 130 to 140 tenant properties, mm. and we have a real mixture from, from bare block lands with containers and so on through to the likes of your your upper tier and lower tier Cerveso sites which may hold all of the high uh, high quality products and the fuels the, the the aviation fuel and so on through but they are they come under the control of different legislation and, and have different companies auditing and regularly check, checking them as well but we would have an extensive relationship with the likes of the Guardi immigration uh, health and safety authority uh, environmental protection authority so on through and a variety of different other ones and then obviously the standard regulatories like obviously the standard guarding Dublin Fire Brigade are in here regularly mm -hmm. they do training we have a close relationship Marino is only sort of five minutes away so they would be in here training their new units and then we would do lots of training with them and of course my thanks there to both John Farley and Pat Ward and we will be hearing from both those gentlemen uh, again throughout uh, this series Dockland areas can attract crime and tragedy. No one knows this better than the members of the Garda Water Unit. To get a glimpse into the, the methods of policing these areas, my colleague Alan Weldon spoke to retired Garda Underwater Unit Sergeant Tosh Lavery. I am Tosh Lavery. I was the sergeant in charge of the Garda Diving Unit in 2004 when I retired. I was in charge of the unit from 1988. 86, sorry. And I joined it in 1974 when it was first established. That was the first official guard that diving unit was ever established. And most of our training was done in Dorky. And Dorky is part of Dublin Port in the sense that the shipping line comes up along the Dorky Sound and up along there and in along by the, the light outside or the buoy outside and the dog leg and they come up along the bull wall and up the Dublin Port. But we done our training in Dorky in Bullock Harbour. Our initial training, jumping in out of the water and snorkelling, and then we done our diving along out in Bullock, starting off from the shore and then out in the boat, out the back of the Muglands. And that's where we done most of our training first. And then we used to use Hanover Quay. Hanover Quay was a great place because it's good visibility. You can work from the shore and you can put lads in on a line. And that's the kind of training, that's where we started. Out there. So that's how the thing started, and we were given bits of gear that they sell in Little now, and Aldi suits, and the other suits we had four and five millimeter wetsuits for the whole year round. And then there was a doll question, and why the guards are no divers? We were formed, and I stayed in it from '74 to 2004, and I retired. But during that period, we would have went to let them rent of Ireland. But most of our basic training started off in Dublin. Dublin Airport, Docky Island, Bullock Harbour, and down the docks. Because we had to go nowhere, we didn't have to travel. And when I think about it, it was only sports training, and there is no, I said it in my book, I wrote a book, Tosh, and I won't mind a good bit about Dublin Port in it. But there's no training for a dead body. I said that. You cannot, but you can put mannequins and do what you like. <laughs> but the, the psychological effect on a diver, when you tell him, that there's a bottle down there or a knife or a hammer or a golf club. When you tell them there's three bodies down, 
totally different ball game. If there's bodies, straight away you get a bit apprehensive and you kind of have to get back out. You know, a little touch because when you touch your body underwater, you might be searching for three days. You get this little bust of adrenaline, you get a bit of a fright, but then you're delighted because you're bringing them up. Now you're the macho man, you're the fella that found them, and you get all these kicks because this, this is what drives the search and recovery person on. But we have a long affiliation with the Dublin Port down through my life. A torso was found on the Liffey Wall and Bachelor's Walk on the steps. And he went to over there, go to work every day, threw in bits, arms, legs, the all. But the big piece, he went over with a pram over there or somewhere and he threw it in over the wall. And a woman went for the bus. The buses used to go the opposite direction that they go now. The keys that they come down now, they used to go up. She was waiting for the bus at Bachelor's Walk. She looked over the wall and she saw this torso sitting on the steps. And it was sitting on the, on the fifth step. And the tide only came up to the seventh step. And an investigation started. We were coming up the Liffey in a boat. And we saw a man and a child hanging out of the boat. And I only met that child. I did not meet her. I contact, she made contact with me on Facebook recently. And that's 1977. And we rescued her and her father. And I had the paper cut and I put it up on Facebook three years ago. And she only contacted me two months ago. And we saved them too. Well, they were hanging. Look, the young one fell into the water. The father was paying the boat. He jumped in. He was then hanging on to the side. We happened to be passing. We pulled the two of them in. It was in the papers. I kept a scrapbook. And I decided three years ago to put it up. <laughs> 2012 up on Facebook. I sent it to this girl and I saw her name. And she only answered me two months ago because she said it went into her, I don't know, spam or whatever. But anyway, she's down there and her father's still alive. And that's another thing that we know is, like... From then on, you can go on through the years, you know, the tall ships coming to Dublin Port. I remember that. That's another thing. The tall ships were in down there, and I was aware. I was in charge. When the tall ships came to Dublin, I was aware that there was after being deaths in different cities all over the world when the tall ships came. And I was determined in my own head. I said, no, I'm going to die during this one. And what happened was... The night that they all arrived in, you have to understand when the tall ships come, there's a lot of young people on board those boats. Like the Asgard, we had our Irish crew on. They're all having a few drinks and all that. Next thing a fella jumped into the Liffey. And then two or three more jumped in. The old famous claim to fame is me. 30 years in the unit, no one died in the unit, you know. I suppose we worked full time every week and something bad gear early on in the our careers and that and we were probably fortunate no one died you know I see army lads dying civilians dying navy fellas even off the ships and all kinds of divers dying you know and we didn't and I was kind of proud of that fact as well you know and I suppose when we went on a job where we when we went on a job where we were in charge or, or part of the safety no more than going to Slane Castle two times we were never brought to Slane to the concerts and on both occasions two people drowned and every time we were there, no one did. And we rescued people. Because slain fellas think they can go across the river and over the fence. But that's when they're full of soup and drugs and they die. But the same at the Dublin port. That was the toil ships. You know, like there was lots and lots of things happened down in Dublin port. I mean, down through my years. Uh, other ones that I can, uh, we say, remember. I remember two young fellas one night under O'Connell Bridge, two soldiers. Took off the little shorts, a few jars in them. I went to swim and I remember being called in and we went in and they were, they just went in under O'Connell Bridge. I remember it was kind of lit up, I had a big torch. Tom, a fella called Tommy Lillis with me and we just shunned the lights. There was the two of them lying alongside of each other with their waists, the old trousers on them, a few old jars. 
and I remember fellas coming up to matches in Croke Park, getting a few jars, thinking they could swim across the levee drowning and being called in. That was one thing about anywhere from all the way in from Chapel Hill and Palmerstown down along the Liffey. Believe it or not, people talk about the Liffey. Liffey was a clean place to search as far as O'Connell Bridge, Butt Bridge, or down, we say, to the past O'Connell Bridge. It was always clear enough there to see. You had visibility. It's only when you went down deeper where the ships were coming in and that that it got a bit dirty. Like, I'm from Waterford. The River Shore was the dirtiest river I ever dived in. And the River Lee was the, the most uncleanliest river with sewerage and everything you know whereas the Liffey to me was clean like you know, people classify the Liffey I mean we worked from you talk about the Liffey and the docks all our work that we done from the Liffey if you go down along the keys you see those grates along the wall but well, we done all the security under Dublin Castle and that security led down to the Liffey and we often went in under the grating when low tide and walked up through to the castle and up through Terranyor and Rat Mines and all around under the roads because there's a big big mire of streets and some you crawl some you walk under that but believe it or not it comes down into the Liffey but the the, 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 the the Liffey and the docks and that like there's another thing like the, the, the security of Dublin Castle we always every time we went down the sewers we always walked as far as the Liffey to the gate and back now you have to be very careful when it's high tide or there's flooding and that, you have to be careful in that. And the sad thing about it is when I was in it early on, I was in it with nothing. Then we went from braiding masks to little white ones. Then we went to ones over your head and now you must have a full set of breeding apparatus and a dry suit to go down there. And I was down there reading comics for two and three hours during my early days while we were doing security carrying guns. So we went through the good times and the bad times. We went through the crime and we went through the subversion. And that was retired Garda Water Unit Sergeant Tosh Lavery. Now, to get an idea of what it's like to work and live in the new Dublin Docklands area, we went out with our microphones and recorders and we took some vox pops of people who actually do work and live in the Docklands area. Raphaela, thank you very much. We're on the Lewis in Dublin. We're just going through the Docklands. You work for Google Maps. Yeah. You work in the Docklands. You're from Naples. Do you like the place? Yes, I really like the place and I think that for young people this is the best place ever because it offers you some, a lot of opportunities and you here don't work to live but it's like you also have fun working and so I think that it's, it's the best thing for young people, you know? It's 2.30 in the afternoon, we're on the Lewis, just leaving Dublin docks, the point, and we're heading in towards Houston Station. We're the only two on the, the Lewis, is it always this quiet? No, I, I think it's quiet now because of, you know, the, the time. Now everyone is working and now it's so quiet. But at, uh, I don't know, like at se- six or seven, it, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy also in the Lewis. Do you enjoy the nightlife in and around this area? Yes, a lot. The beautiful, the beautiful things of this country, of Dublin, simple but also happy. Now, you, you were telling me off air, you're from Naples. Naples is a beautiful city. It's got a beautiful port. How do you find the architecture in Dublin port? Okay, I think that it's completely different, but I don't, I don't know. I like Dublin and I like Naples as well. Maybe Dublin is more similar to a metropolis. 
and Dublin is like sometimes it gives me this impression a little bit so many tourists so many work, workers um, of other countries so I don't know about the identity the real identity sometimes of Dublin but I know you work in the Docklands do you live in the Docklands? I live in the city centre the Docklands must be very very expensive to live in yes yes crazy really crazy but again, Dublin Port or the Docklands, where you're working in Google, isn't too far from the Dublin, Dublin city centre, am I right? More or less. I think, yeah, it's, but you have to choose. You cannot have everything from life. So I prefer to, to take this few times to get the place where I, where I work and then or to the weekend enjoy the whole city centre, you know, be close to the city centre. It's brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Do you live or work in this area? I do indeed, yes. And what it's like um, working next to Dublin Port? It's it's great to have the water, to have a walk around at lunchtime. It's great to be able to walk around the water. Really enjoy it. And has the port and the area changed since you began working here? Oh yeah, when we when we came here first there was nothing here. Then the buildings were there but there was nobody living in them. And then the hotel opened and then obviously they refurbished uh, the O2. So it was, it now is, there's life now in it. And we didn't have the Lewis either when we came here. So the Lewis is great because you can get uptown in a couple of minutes. It's a lovely area. <laughs> The water, I love to be able to walk along the water. It's one thing that uh, I just, just really, I, I miss if I'm if I'm living anywhere that there's no water. <laughs> and um, what is your least favourite thing about the port? Oh, I suppose around here it can be a bit dangerous at night. Um, that's about all. But like nothing much has happened in, in recent times. But yeah, that that would be my big worry. I'm retired. I, I lived and walked in this army life. Um, and what is it like working or living next to the Dublin port? Okay. Um, and has the port changed, or has the port and the area changed since you began living or working here? It changed big, like big, big time. And how has it changed? Well, uh, I remember ship going up there mm-hmm. as a little boy, and I remember all the coal boats and everything else. Okay. And uh, over here didn't exist except for the cottages. And uh, what is your favourite thing about the port? What? What is your favourite thing about the port? Uh, the Red Light House. Okay. And It's beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Rings End's a beautiful place. It's been more modernised and all. It's containers and it used to be all hand-loaded and it's now containers. Mm-hmm. And what's your favourite thing about the port? <laughs> Coming home. <laughs> <laughs> I work in this area. It's pretty cool. You get to see a lot of boats coming in and out. A lot of construction going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. And that brings us to the end of episode two of Posh, Port Out, Starboard Home, a four-part radio documentary on Dublin's Docklands. My thanks, of course, to all those who contributed to this episode. 